Welcome to Curva Mundial. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Curva Mundial. I am your host, Sal Bono, and today my next guest is someone who is going to take us all around Europe, from Serbia to Italy to England and Turkey. She is a force in the football writing world, and I am so honored to have her on. She is the co-founder and editor-in-chief of Unusual Efforts, 7500 to Holtel, the Aston Villa fan site, podcast host of Far From Vesuvius Network, author of the upcoming book, More Than Maradona, The Birth, Death, and Rebirth of SSC Napoli. Please welcome to the show, Napoli, Red Star Belgrade, Aston Villa, and brand new Trabzon Spore supporter, Kirsten Schlewitz. Welcome, Kirsten. Hi, I'm so excited to be here and talk about all these things. Me too. I'm really, really excited uh, that you're here. And I, right before I hit record, as you know, I was geeking out at the fact that like, hey, we're doing this from obviously different points in the world. I'm coming to you from New York City and you're in Serbia. So I'm, there's going to, there's so much to ask about, <laughs> but I want to start <laughs> off. I want to start off, you know, you're coming to us from Serbia now and follow so many teams in Europe that I need to ask, how the hell do you keep track of everything? (laughs) It is hard. And I do have to say that um, my U.S. team has fallen by the wayside a bit. My U.S. teams, I should say. Um, Who are your U.S. teams? Well, this is quite controversial because I am a Seattle Sounders supporter, yet a Portland Thorns supporter. Ooh. Okay. Rivals. Um, Yeah, for sure. Now, my question there is, so there's a six-hour difference between you and I right now in New York City to to Belgrade, where you are. So now that's a nine-hour difference we're looking at in terms of time. Do you get to watch any of those games? Um, The Sounders were actually on the other night. A very rare sort of thing. My friends came here when the Sounders were in the playoffs like five years ago and were up at like two in the morning watching the game. So they are on. It's just altering your sleep schedule. And that's that's kind of why they've fallen away a bit. But when I'm there, when I'm in the U.S. visiting, I definitely try to go see a game or at least watch with friends or whatever. Okay, how did how does the appeal of MLS go beyond the American borders? Like, how is it received? I'm kind of curious about that now. Uh, it's, it, it, there's a very snobbish attitude toward it, toward it, especially other places in Europe. Um, in Serbia, there's not very much of any feeling toward it, except when um, an actual person from here goes there okay Uh, um, Serbia is you know so far down in the um, soccer world in at least in terms of what other people see that you know they feel a little bit more um, I guess able to include and not look down on it but definitely there are attitudes from fans of the big four in Europe that conflict with the attitudes of MLS and U.S. supporters. And it, 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 it's definitely, there's definitely still a snobbish perception out there. Interesting. I mean, there's still that 
within the borders and confines of North America as well. So I'm I'm just why I'm just I'm curious about it. I know with the, the MLS has made strides, obviously. They they have this new blockbuster Apple deal, which I've got a lot of feelings on, but mm-hmm. I'm not taking up your time on the podcast for that. But it is quite interesting to hear, you know, I have friends in England that follow teams and you know, hearing you in Serbia follow follow teams all the way on the West Coast. Um I even have, you know, now cousins in Italy that are pretty excited to see all these Italian players and that they're messaging me and letting me know like, hey, did you see what Chiellini did or did you see what Bernadeschi did? And, you know, years ago when it was Andrea Pirlo was like the sole Italian here, that was sort of started piquing their interest. But now there's a big conglomerate coming in. So it is, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it over the last, like, especially this season. Grow. Especially in terms of, Italy and MLS connections. It's I, I think the Italians' attitudes are definitely coming down because of that. Right. And I, I funny enough is that like even Bernadeschi this week had said something along the lines of like, I think a lot of guys that I'm friends with in Italy that are professional players, and he's like, and I'm talking top players are asking me a ton of questions about MLS and are really curious and might want to come here, but are afraid to speak out and say something about it, you know, in the sense of like people will thumb their nose at them. I don't, you know, that's obviously not a direct quote, but that's the, you know, the gist, if you will, of what he was getting at. And it is, and it is quite interesting. I mean, you're seeing four guys, you know, Chiellini and Signe, Crescito and, um, and Bernadeschi go just in one season. That's, that's a pretty big deal. It was. Yeah. So now Italian players would brings me into the first team I want to talk about because you have so many. <laughs> I love this. I love this. So we're gonna first start off with we're gonna start off in the south. We're gonna start off with Napoli. How did that love affair come about? A hamshik, Marek Hamshik. Oh, it's very simple. Okay, yeah, that'll do it. Uh, I tell this story a lot. Um, we'll get into Villa later, but I was on my first trip to visit friends in England and I met up with Chris Nee who's an Aston Villa fan and we were going to a non-league game in England and just talking and he was all have you seen this amazing new midfielder who Napoli just signed his name is Mark Hamshik you have to watch and it was pretty much love at first sight for me with that and it, it all it all stemmed from him and that mohawk you gotta love yeah, yeah. well I, I mean i love an attacking midfielder i love a man with brains and i love people who stand out so and and napoli stands out as a club as well you know <laughs> they are they are as quirky as their former talisman so i love it now i also i have a feeling now that that explains the traps and spore uh that yes is that that can, okay all right so now, but the thing is, is that that player was your focal point, but you went all in. And this team, you know, is something that helped you co-create and co-host the Far From Vesuvius Network, highlighting all things Napoli. The fans of the team live and die by the club. You know, you know how passionate they are. You've got a book about coming out, which we're going to touch upon right after this. And But like, do you find that it makes it harder or easier for you to do all of the things that you do because of how passionate and intense the fan base is from around the world. 
well, the problem is that I too am that passionate and intent, and that's been a struggle for me in terms of consistent creating. I I would have real trouble making pods when the team lost or something didn't go our way, and it and because this is a little personal, but I, I have some chronic health issues and it literally makes me sick. Oh my God. <laughs> don't do well. Um, so I found a bit of a solution. Uh, myself and Dr. Henry Bell, we've started from N to I on the bar from Vesuvius Network, where we focus on Napoli history, just like the book does. I like so that. If I fo <laughs> focus on history and things that happened in the past, then my passion for what's happening in the team and my stress about the whole rebuild right now and everything like that my dismay over Merton's leaving those things don't get in the way of this new short form podcast and I can actually hop on and record on time and I'm not you know having to beg off because <laughs> I'm so upset <laughs> like there are so many times people who follow me on Twitter they will know this that I just leave Twitter in the middle of a match like nope it's done. It's over. I can't handle this right now. I mean, I, I can't say that that hasn't happened to me with AC Milan um, because it certainly does. I don't know if, you know, obviously the extent of what you have is far greater um, than all of that. And it's, it is quite amazing though, that you're still finding reason to just keep pushing and doing it, which, which is, again, I think a testament to Napoli fans around the world. That's sort of like the, the mindset of just like, even when we're down, we're not out, we're going to just reconfigure and figure it out and how to, you know, love this team even more. Do you find that to be, you know, you were sort of like a microcosm of what that fan base is? Um, I'd say that some of them are much better at it than I am. <laughs> um, it does help that I was raised a Seattle Mariner fan and they've never won anything in their life. <laughs> for those who don't watch baseball, they're famous for not winning and never even been to a World Series. So that gives me some um, some reasons to cling on and just enjoy the sport beyond things like winning. Um, but yeah, the, the fan base in general is much better than I am about uh, just being like, it's all going to be okay. We're going to keep going. I don't know if right now, as we see all these players leave and everything, if they're, if that can be said, you know, we're freaking out a little bit right now, but. Look, I think like, <laughs> by, by the time this podcast airs, the Marquette will close in, in Europe, especially in Italy. Um, the one thing that I just feel and it, and it bothers me because this is such a beautiful club. This is such a historic club. It's a team that like my family is from Sicily. So there's a Southern Italian connection there. I, I feel in my heart of hearts that in the beginning, when he purchased the team, De Laurentiis had all the right intentions and did all the right things. You had Cavani, you had Levetsi, Guayin, all these amazing players, you know, um, you had obviously Hamsik and Mertens. Uh, Insigne and so on and so forth. The laundry list has been vast. It's been wide. Jorginho, of course, like it's it's been astonishing. So he clearly wanted to invest in all the right pieces of the puzzle. But then when an offer would come or don't feel like paying them, you know, they they just go by the wayside. And 
the business side shows up. But lately, the business side has sort of been, for him, just what's front and center. And I guess hiring Spalletti was an indication that, like, yeah, I'm serious, but not serious enough. I know Ancelotti had lost the locker room. There's a, a lot of issues around his appointment a few years ago. But again, at the end of the day, is, is that this guy is seemingly not wanting to get what the fans deserve and what the fans want. And it, and it bothers me because here's a team that should have had a Scudetto within the last decade and should be contending for Scudetto for the next decade. You know what I'm saying? I, I do. Um, I think there's shades of, you know, sea blue in here. <laughs> um, there, uh, there's definitely things like we could have contended for the Scudetto if we didn't have a meltdown against when we were in Florence a few years back. Right. You know, and that wasn't really down to any one thing except stress on the players that it wasn't ABL at all. Um, I think, I think if you're not following Napoli extremely closely right now, that it can look like a lot more of a fire sale than it is, or maybe that's just my optimism coming out. Okay. Um, good. Optimism is good. I, I, I don't, I don't have a huge love as much of a love for ADL as I did before he let Chero Mertens go. I think that was really crappy of him. Yeah. Uh, the way that that all happened and, and Mertens himself said that he didn't appreciate the way it went down. Um, we'll probably never know exactly what happened, but he deserved more. And that really kind of was the turning point for me was when all that started with him leaving. But in general, what's happening now, like Koulibaly leaving, Fabian leaving, they kind of had to go now in terms of business sense, because otherwise we weren't going to get any money for them. Right. And Fabian was never going to stay with us. So um, that's one thing to look at. Koulibaly, maybe if we'd given him a lot of money, but it was never a sure thing. So those decisions make sense. And then we've got, you know, one Italian goalkeeper confirmed. We've got a young Italian, Rasvidori coming in, maybe Simeon. It's like, it's a, it's a good kind of way to build back up with more Italians, the younger people coming in. It's just making sure that the fans are kind of prepared for the fact that it will probably be a tough season. And that's, you know, and again, as a, as just a person who loves City A and as a neutral in this situation here with Napoli, it, it, it kind of, it bums me out because I, I just, you want this team. Yeah. Team. No, football I, I <laughs> you know, football is better when, you know, you have, yes, the, the big four clubs in Italy. Yes. But football is so much better when, when it was Atalanta and Napoli you know, thumbing their nose at everyone else being like, ha ha, you got the money, but guess what? We got the, we got the points. Um, and the fun. And the fun, exactly. <laughs> and the fun. I mean, look, you know, I, the, especially Napoli in a post world, post Maradona world that we live in, like we don't, we don't have him in the world anymore. And it's, and it's, and it's, the world seems less interesting with him. 
even though it's quite interesting what's going on in the news and everything, you know, and you see these horrible events going on. But he was one of those characters. I kind of equate him to a David Bowie or a Prince. <laughs> they, they made the world go around. Yeah. You know, that, that funky, I don't care. You know, that this is what I'm going to do. I'm doing me. And if you like it, great. And if you don't, great. Like, I don't care. I, the world seems less interesting with him. But I've seen now, last summer we saw Argentina win a uh, international trophy. We saw... Italy win the Euros. I'm, I'm and I, my heart of hearts was like, oh, this is going to be Napoli's year. It ended up being Milan's year, so <laughs> you were okay I with it. Excited, yeah. <laughs> but it was. I still feel that you know the spirit of Maradona can drive the team, and the Napoli to me is the only team that he loved playing for that hasn't them and Boca at the point at this point. The two of them, those are the two clubs that I feel like need to do something big and this is just me being romanticizing everything obviously you know romance and reality are two different things but <laughs> that's what fans do it would be no fun if we couldn't take that direction right right you know it but speaking of maradona your upcoming book more than maradona what can we expect from it and when will it come out uh, the second question is one that I still don't have the answer to. Okay, that's um, fine. <laughs> it went to the publishers uh, about a month ago, and it's getting all laid out and graphics up and all that stuff. Um, but there's not a set release date. Um, as for what you can expect, it's the first Napoli full history in English. And I think it's a probably... I haven't looked recently, but it's been a while since one's been done in Italian as well. Right. Um, it it does say more than Maradona, but there are two chapters that center on him. There's one on him as a person, and then there's one on his years at the club. But the idea is kind of the club existed before he was there. The club continues to exist now. So it can't be all about this amazing man that brought us the two Scudetti and the uh, Copas and the Supercopa and the UEFA Cup and all that stuff. Um, there are these other intriguing, fascinating characters from other presidents to managers to, of course, players, um, to the games, to the rivalries, every, well, I mean, I wouldn't say everything about Napoli. There's absolutely no way that could ever be contained in a book. But the, let's just say it's far more than Wikipedia, Napoli. I love it. No, I can't wait to read it. That's how I came across. You had posted about it on Twitter and someone had retweeted it or whatever. And I thought the cover was brilliant. I thought the title was brilliant. And then I took a deep dive into your uh, account and then the words that you uh, have put out there in the world and the work that you've done. And I was like, oh, I have to have Kirsten on. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> like, I, I was blown away by it. But, you know, because again, like the fact that you love so many teams, all, would you say that you love all these teams equally? Like children? Like if they Oh, were, no, no. Oh, so, so some are more than others. Okay. <laughs> no, it, all right, all right. Uh, I'll admit it. It's Napoli is my first love. Okay. Uh, well, it's not my first love. It's not my first footballing love, but it is my uh till i die love and if i had to choose just one that being said when they did come to play zvezda 
um, in European play, um, I don't even remember, like four years ago, maybe, uh, whenever Red Star beat Liverpool that same season. I, I didn't cheer for either. I stood there completely jet lagged. It was less than 24 hours after I got off a flight from the U US and didn't say a word. I had my, uh, you know, it was the only time that I've ever bought the, um, what are those scarves called? I'm forgetting the name. Oh, like half the, and match half. Day, the match day scarf? The yeah, the half and half, half scarf. And half. <laughs> but I just stood there waving it, um, being completely neutral and hoping <laughs> against hope that my jet lagged brain did not like start squealing for handshake or anything like that. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, I love that. I actually didn't know that those scarves had a name. Now I got to look into that. Yeah, I am almost positive that that's the name that happened now because I see so much, yeah. so many disparaging comments about them. But I have a legit one. I just like to point that out. Okay, well, that, I like that. The next club I want to discuss is Red Star Belgrade. One of the most historic Eastern European sides to still exist and one, of the, and one that the world gets to see when they are in Champions League. So how did your support of that team come about? Um, this is probably, no. Well, yeah. We'll say this is the only time that I've ever really changed my team in oh. a league. Um, I was working in The Hague, and I had a friend who was a partisan supporter. So I was like, oh, partisan, I like that name. Well, go for that. But then um, my my friend who I actually met on Twitter or she was now my partner. He was, he said, no, you can't be a partisan fan. That's, that's not allowed. That's, um, and I figured a uh, friendship or this team that I've never actually watched or really paid attention to, I can switch. <laughs> <laughs> so I switched and it's a good thing that I did because honestly, partisan fans are, hmm. I don't I don't know how much cursing you're allowed to do on this podcast. You can, you can say whatever. <laughs> they're, they're pretty shit. All right, okay. I mean their wow. nickname is the Grobari, which are the undertakers, and that should just tell you everything. Wow. <laughs> all right. That that all right, that sounds about as hardcore as it gets, that's for sure. Yeah. You know, Red Star in the 1980s and 1990s was a dominant force. And ironically enough, it was happening as the Iron Curtain was falling apart. Uh, the team was the mm -hmm. strongest. <laughs> in the years and decades since, they're still huge in Serbian football. But the world stage is a bit different. Why is that? Well, I mean, when you think about it, in 91, when Red Star won um, the, you know, the big thing. <laughs> what, was it? <laughs> what was it before the Champions League? My head, is, my head is so filled with all of these Napoli facts that I can say I know that they won in 91, but it was what the European Cup then? It was the European Cup. Oh, I love it. That's yeah. beautiful. The big thing. <laughs> the big thing. Forget Champions League. <laughs> it's the big thing. Um, anyway, I hope I don't get. Uh, in trouble for that. Ah, <laughs> anyway, don't worry about trouble. Don't let have fun. People need to chill so, out. Sorry, she didn't so, know what it was called. <laughs> Fuck off. So, um, literally, '91 was when the Yugoslavia War, yeah, really kicked off. And some people say it was actually due to trouble over um, 
oh man, a Croatian team and a Zvezda match. Mm. But that that's just nonsense. But when you think about it, back then it's you've got a lot steeper competition because your league is comprised of six countries. Right. So now they're all separate. And so the dominance in each league goes to two teams, which, you know, we see in other places of the world as well. But then you've also got the fact that these are not rich countries. Right. So it's much more difficult to make a huge impact these days. But on the other hand, Serbia will be next season. Yeah, next season. They'll go straight into the Champions League with their champion of the league. So they have done so well in Europe recently that they're uh, they're over um, they're over Turkey now. They're over Switzerland. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there was one other that was really like, wow, they're better than than that league. Um, I, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but yeah, they they're definitely getting better. They're stronger. Uh, Zvezda in particular are seeking out a lot of African players and not giving them ridiculous ADL uh, ultimatums like you can't play in AFCON. So like that was I think for me that was like the final straw where I'm like you know what not only does City A deserve better but the fans of Napoli deserve better with a comment like that like that was the ultimate like as that was sort of like that where I out of all the dumb things he and ignorant things that he has said, that was the one that I was like, like, no, now I'm drawing a line in the sand. Like, you've got to go, man. It, like, it was beyond. Go. It was just offensive, outright offensive. Um, and honestly, I pushed it to the back of my head and just remembered it now. So sorry. You would think that, um, with the reputation Serbia had, it it wouldn't be the country that's looking to Africa and being so excited about African players coming here and things, but they are tearing up our team. Um, when we played the first league and champions league qualifying, um, last week, wow. we had a new guy come in and score a hat trick in like 30 minutes or something like that. Something really impressive. I mean, it was against a, little useless game but it the way that he did it was just like wow we picked up this kid and well, i don't think he's a kid but um yeah it's it's fun to watch and it's fun to think that there are times that at least they're strong enough to upset the balance of power in the football world like when zvezda beat liverpool right you know even you seeing last season a small team like now I know they're not Serbian, but a small team like Sheriff, you know, yeah, Real Madrid, yeah, was it's like this is why the Super League shouldn't exist, exactly, exactly. Like that was proof of it. And Madrid ends up winning Champions League, which you know, they redeemed themselves in the, in the most <laughs> fashion. And but that's the it's like if there was proof that Super League should not exist, it was when Sheriff went and beat Madrid and especially in the current era and climate that we're in now where like you know money is just thrown but, dumb money but, thrown 
But I think the thing with Sheriff is that they're one of those newer teams that does throw have a lot of money to throw around. Not that it has the ability to attract players like the huge teams, but in terms, that's just something that I like to point out. Oh, interesting. That, okay, um, I know that. All right. That Zvezda doesn't have that kind of cash. They oh. can be corrupt and <laughs> they can find ways of bringing people in, but um, sometimes they don't like to play, pay their players. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I see what you're it, it, It's been a little while since that's happened, but uh, yeah, um, they, they don't have that kind of government sponsored, oil sponsored, any sort of sponsored money coming in so they make do other ways and like i said there it usually comes from a bit of corruption but not in the same ways that some of those newer um teams that do have the kind of participation of their governments in terms of wanting them to succeed and to make um an impression on the world stage wow. that's not that's not what's happening with red star all right well that's that's very good um, I mean, in and at least one aspect of it, as you said, the corruption part. Well, you know, that's a, <laughs> that's a whole different conversation here. Yeah. Um, you know, I know what football is like in Italy and in England. Those are two countries I've visited a ton in my lifetime and been fortunate enough to go there um, and have friends and family in both those places, respectively. But you cover clubs there. But what is it like? in serbia is it a footballing country i mean part of me thinks yes but another part of me thinks no um how does it differ from england and italy but how but what's the culture like there um do people live and die by these teams the way they do in say napoli um that's an interesting question i'd say it's kind of um it's kind of, I mean, they definitely, for the two big clubs, breathe for them, live for them, are on the forums, are reading the sports tabloids. Um, they've got the players on in normal papers, you know, they pay attention to them, but it's, it's not, I would say, like it is when I've been in, Italy where you can go to um, a cafe or be on public transport and stuff and hear people having conversations about football that okay. I, I think it's because politics can tend to um, dominate more here but there it's definitely a huge thing it, it's tends more toward the men here. I mean, it tends more toward the men in almost everywhere, but even more so, so here um, in terms of fandom. But you do you do see women and kids at the games. Okay, that was my next, that was gonna be my next question. Okay, for what you just mentioned too about how like politics seems to dominate more. You know, politics and sport is something that it's unavoidable. People want to try and avoid it. People don't want the two to mix, but that's you're blind at that point. If, if, if you don't want that to happen, or if you don't see that happening, does politics find a way, how do politics find their way into Serbian football? So, um, yeah, it's Kosovo. Kosovo comes up oh, wow. almost always. Um, 
banners pretty much every game in terms of uh, Kosovo, Serbia. Holy that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, that's a big one. Um, there's tensions um, like in, in Bosnia where things are still really divided. Um, they will chant about the war and about how uh, the Bosnia's army didn't do a good enough job uh, in terms of, you know, kill, kill the Bosnian Muslims sort of thing. Um, and that can unfortunately extend, there's a region here called the Sanjak where Novi Pazar, that's a Serbian Premier League team, they play and there's been some tensions at games down there because unfortunately there are still racists and bigots and geographists and all that in football and um you know just awful chants and um things about how you know they should be all all be killed more or less oh my god yeah it's far it, worse than i ever thought it was yeah um i don't know if you know about the stuff that happened uh at the last world cup in terms of serbia playing switzerland i I don't remember. There's I, just vaguely. a lot of uh, there's because there's a lot of Kosovars on the Swiss team okay. before Kosovo had their own national team, and so um, there was a lot of tension actually coming more from Switzerland and, really? and the Kosovars for the team. They they kind of fired it up a little, but that you know that's not to say Serbia was innocent, but at the same time like. I'm a big Adam Yanich fan, even though he's pretty much dead now. Um, I think he might be going to Saudi Arabia, but um, he was playing for Serbia and he is Muslim and he doesn't sing the anthem because the anthem specifically mentions the Orthodox Christian God. But it, I went out and watched all the group stage games and never, ever, and I had a Yanich shirt on mm. and never, ever was he booed never ever was there were there comments made um nobody ever mentioned anything to me for wearing his name anything like that so in some ways i think that the media can kind of fire these things up more than they really are right but unfortunately they do they they are still here and they still exist wow i am um, i you know that's I'm kind of like speechless in a lot of ways because these are the things that like you don't hear about you like you know about them and almost as part of folklore at this point it's still a problem and it's still a bigger problem that doesn't get talked about enough and now I don't know if it doesn't get talked about enough because as we discussed like Serbia has historic clubs and Red Star is a historic club, but is Red Star on the same level and popularity as Real Madrid or Liverpool or PSG even, um, or Juventus? Sad to say is no. No. But that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be discussed, you know? Exactly. I think the problem is like, especially when they were playing Liverpool, is that they had people who were writing about it and talking about it and it infuriated me who would 
go out on a limb and say things that were so outrageous and so untrue in terms of the political conflicts and what happens at games here and that sort of thing that um <clears throat> they just get waved away which they should be because they're not they're exaggerating or they and sorry i'm probably going off on a tangent here but um it's not even that they know that they're exaggerating it's just that they're not qualified to write this kind of thing because yeah, okay um the conflicts here are so deep and extend so far back that you know there were people out there that were saying that the war started because of a um game between a croatian club and a serbian club which is just you can look at the timeline and it doesn't make sense but um facts matter so, <laughs> yeah so so on the one hand yeah these things do need to be talked about especially when it comes to um like national team play and who should be able to play each other i, I believe um a while back it was that croatia and serbia were allowed to play one another which was which is still 30 years after the war absolutely a ridiculous idea it's it is still vicious but at the same time it's difficult to talk about because and i don't really want to sound completely arrogant in this but unless you're someone like me who has experience grounded in the yugoslav war and knows about football you can't talk about it with all the nuance and everything that it needs to explain so it's easier to either print sensational short accounts about it or overlook it and go to the big names wow kirsten thank you so much for discussing that and enlightening me and hopefully the listeners here and letting them understand and, and again nuance is important you know it, it it clicked in my head that like wait I, I need to ask um because i i'm not only just naturally curious but it is again these are just because they're not huge clubs and huge by like global standards. I'm not talking about history here because Red Star has got a history better than most of the modern teams now. They've got more of a history than PSG, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that like, but because of that, like they don't get the respect and discussion enough of what, you know, the, the bigger stages and what the bigger teams are now and what they get to hear about and talk about, you know, when the Champions League final went on in France, and the Liverpool fans were uh, locked out of the arena in Paris. And there was all sorts of like uh, things going on and all these inquiries. Immediately, people started going to the history of the tragedies that Liverpool fans have had. Now, I, you know, you think back and you say to yourself, like, all right, well, that's that, that's holy. Like, I hope it doesn't I hope it doesn't get to that at all. Like, you know, people should enjoy this game, especially in 2022. Let's have fun. Yeah. Let's, you know, it's costing everybody enough let's have you know <laughs> but you know, but again like i i shudder to think that if if this was any eastern european side with a history both politically and footballing would it have been struck the same nerve you know what i'm saying yeah i i completely understand and i can say it almost certainly wouldn't have um, and they probably would have said it was deserved right for, for a lot of places anyway it just depends on on the people who are talking and who exactly who they're talking about 
Right. I want to decompress for a hot second, but we want to keep the moment. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to let's let's move to England now. Okay. Aston Villa. I know this is the most bizarre transition of all time. But um, you know, it's uh but we're 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 gonna have some fun here. Um, how did the fandom of Aston Villa come about? And because you're also again, it's another team that you're so passionate about that you started a fan site. <laughs> yeah, that one, um, I'm gonna be honest, it, it it is definitely waning and their first game last weekend didn't help. Um, but that was my that was my original team. Wow, okay. So um it goes back to I I've been chronically ill for a very long time and I had just been diagnosed with endometriosis and oh, it was wow. keeping me in bed and I was bored and um shout out lookout landing for Mariners fans I was on the lookout landing SBN site and I thought there are soccer fans here they seem cool I want to be a soccer fan because <laughs> I, I you know I grew up playing soccer who doesn't grow up in the United States and play soccer um and I'd watched World Cups and things, but I didn't have a connection. So I thought, okay, I want a team, but I don't want one of the big teams because, again, Seattle Mariners, not used to winning. <laughs> <laughs> didn't want to have heart attacks. But this was, this was back when Aston Villa looked like they were going to be, you know, comfortably challenging for at least European, like Europa League spots. And then what happens? I enter in and it all falls to pieces. Um, I had a couple good years in there at the beginning, but um, look, they signed Coutinho. I mean, <laughs> he's not yeah. he's not only handsome, he he's gonna attract other players. Like he's gonna it's a nice building block, you know? Mm, yeah. Okay, maybe I'm being too optimistic. Okay. <laughs> I don't think that really happened this. Last transfer window. <laughs> and we, like I said, we looked awful against Burnmouth on um, Saturday. Was it Saturday or Sunday? Yes. I don't know. I blocked it out. It was one of those times when I quit. It's dark times. <laughs> I quit Twitter again because I actually have another club too. I, I followed Gladbach and um, the German Germany plays a half hour before the England games. So I was watching Gladbach and Gladbach were down. We're up a man um Hoffenheim had gone down to 10 men and then Hoffenheim scored I was like okay well at least I have Villa and then it was something like a minute and some seconds in that Burnmouth scored and and I just said I quit <laughs> what are you supposed to do in that situation you one of your teams is up a man and the other team should be handily able to do something besides pump crosses into the box, but no, no. <laughs> I mean, this was supposed to be the fun part. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna slide away because now I, I do have a question though. Now I've noticed okay. two Seattle teams uh, from two different sports on your radar, the Mariners and the Sounders. Where, so how did how did you end up in Serbia? Um I actually worked for the International Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia. Oh, and then my boss there said, you need to take a trip to Bosnia because you really need to understand the region as they called it, as they referred to the former Yugoslavia there. Um, and I loved Bosnia, but Bosnia, I, 
um, I've never thought that it's completely settled. I, I don't discount the possibility of a future war. So um, thought that wasn't the best idea. Wanted to live on the coast. So I moved to Montenegro for a couple of years and then um, moved to Belgrade because I wanted to be in a city and I wanted to still be in this region. That's and now are you from Seattle originally? Uh I'm from Cascadia, I call it. Okay. <laughs> um my mom my mom grew up in Seattle, my dad grew up in um the Willamette Valley, so Oregon, Washington. I I spent um like 10 years of my life in California. So wow. West Coast all the way. All right, so you are a West Coaster, that's for yeah. sure. All right, that, all right, cool. Um what an amazing story. What a fascinating story. And I mean, I love the fact that you use football as sort of like your radar here to whether it is understanding culture or just give yourself a nervous breakdown, but, (laughs) but you are, but you're doing the things that like every fan of this game wants to do, which is, you know, express those passions and give an outlet to it, but do it in, you know, but you're not just doing it as like a, uh, my team sucks this week tweet it's there's (laughs) there is a beautiful education part to it there is a there's facts and as we discussed earlier facts matter um and those are important you know you're doing it as the these amazing tools that it's not just a fandom it's more than that you are educating communities and i don't think you know i don't i don't i don't think you realize that like i want you to i want want to say thank you for that because like there are so many things even in just the less than an hour that we've been on I've absorbed so much so thank you for that and and I love the fact that you're a fan of all these clubs and the nuances of all these clubs that I'm learning as I'm going with you on this journey across Europe which is great so thank you so much for all of this oh uh, thank you I that's honestly one of the best compliments I have ever gotten on be a little teary over here <laughs> but no it's like you know like every fan it's easy to go on twitter and say my team sucks or like you know this guy is great and you know the ownership is bad it's easy to do all of that like people don't realize like the the work that needs to go into these things and the work that needs to go into a fan site or even a silly little podcast like this but this sport one thing about football is is that you can learn geography, you can learn history. It's more than, it's more than a game and it's more than so much. And you can just learn about people. And that's what this podcast was about. And I think I've learned just about every type of person (laughs) I would want to learn about in this last hour. So like, I, I wanted you on for a reason and this was it. And I got it. So selfishly, I'm like, yes. But, But then there's the other part of me that's just like, man, dude, like, she fucking rules. Like this. <laughs> so um, I want to, I want to just say thank you for that because now we're, we're, we're going to, right before I get into the three questions that I ask everybody, uh, I, I know we, we laughed a little early about traps and spore, but let's go to Turkey because why not? Right. Let's, let's travel just one last time. Uh, let's head on over to Turkey and right. talk about traps. Just don't, don't make me talk about Turkish politics because that's not something I know. Oh, about. no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I just said qualified people. Like, I'll get, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll find somebody, I'll find somebody in the country um, or from, you know, an expat, whatever. I want to get, both, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get the ball rolling on that soon. Um, but Trabzonspor 
as you said, it was Merrick Hamstick that was your focal point there. And, you know, he's there now. We see Dries Mertens in Galatasaray is just signed for them. Is the Turkish league going to be your new thing now? Well, to be fair, I'm very fickle with the Turkish league. I'm not moving to Galatasaray. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, um, Cheryl, but I'm not. I started at Fenerbahce and then I paid attention to them. And then Yayic went to um, Besiktas. So, and I'm sorry, I pronounced it wrong again. I, I had training and I've already forgotten how to say Besiktas. Well, if you, want, if, you, if you want a really good laugh, Lee, in season one, I interviewed a Greek soccer player, Stavros Zarakostas, and he's a Panathiaikos fan. There's about a good, oh. like, there's about a good three minutes or four minutes of me trying to pronounce the name of that beautiful club and and butchering the beautiful greek language so however you say it however you say is never going to be as bad as me trying to get trying to say about the echoes they're actually um they're they're one of uh belgrade's sister clubs and i always just say that greek club that that we are okay with So yeah, I get that. But yeah, so um, I I have been paying attention to the league for as long, I'd say a good eight years or so. But um, in terms of why I I like it is because talk about passionate fans. Oh yeah. (laughs) If you want to get followers on Twitter, find yourself Turkish club because (laughs) you, you just write the club's name once. And you will see your follower account just, I'm not saying they stick around. If you don't talk about the club, (laughs) they will, they will leave, but um, they'll come, they'll flock and they are excited and they know their shit. That's one thing that I have learned. Even the most casual Turkish Super League fan is an expert. And that's not saying that hyperbolically, like, no, like they, it's just, y'all watch just occasionally and then boom, spitting off like fact, 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 fact. And it's, wait, what? Uh, you're a casual fan? Like, yeah. it, what? Um, so that's a, that's a league that I feel is really making strides to get attention and star power and asses in the seats, if you will. Yeah. You know, signing uh, Ricardo Montalivo and Mario Balotelli uh and having um now andrea pirlo is managing in turkey you have we're not gonna say the name of his club though yeah no that's um, yeah (laughs) i'm skirting around that one (laughs) before i get you know pitchforks and broomsticks um you know coming at me but the you have um but as you said we have mertens we have uh hamstrick is there they're getting stars that you can consider maybe in the twilight of their career but they're still names they still have a fan base they still have something to offer and and again it's a great move for it's a random move i feel for andrea pilo to be coaching there but it's still a great move for him because now he'll get outwardly experience like when he came to mls he got he got to play for the first time outside of italy and experience a new league whether or not that helped him adapt to his coaching, I don't know. But we did see Weston McKenney, an American player, play for Juventus and do quite well under him. So that clearly had to have an influence, I would think. So maybe now this is a good way for like Turkish players to get exposure and go to Italy or go elsewhere abroad. 
So I can only see a benefit, but do you think that the Super League now is building something that could be what, I don't want to say the MLS of Southern Europe, but like, it's like. And yet that's what was in my mind. I know, right? That's like, the, that's like the laziest comparison, but that's like the only thing I can think of now where it's like, it's it's drawing attention and then it will continue to draw attention because of who's playing there. Um, I think that's that's an excellent point, but I I I'm not sure that it goes the other way in terms of oh, interesting. you know a lot of Turkish players getting exposure elsewhere. I think, and I said I don't want to get too much into politics, so this is very speculative. But I think you know, you look at some of the players who have gone there, and you look at the players who are committed to staying there, and I think there's a very cultural pull. For sure, yeah. To stay, to either be in Turkey like Yayic, um, uh, for Trabzonspor, it's even Vishka. Um, it's a, it's definitely a different atmosphere there, it, and not so much in the league. I don't know about that. Um, and I, as I said, I could just be making this up from little things that I've cobbled together. But it seems like they have a real pull to be in this culture and to be participating in um, kind of this fear and then they are excited that now that there's a better league and they can go feel more comfortable being able to play still at a decent level and having fun, but also being in a um, culture that a lot of these players are um, more desiring of. All right, cool. That that totally makes sense. All right. I mean, because it's, I feel like what you're saying about the culture there is like, that's when I look at City, uh, that's kind of how I see it. You know, it's, we saw players in the last few years leave, you know, Skimaka now is at West Ham and uh, Donnarumma is at PSG and Verate has been at PSG for quite some time. But a lot of Italian players just like to stay and play in Italy. And it's a cool Exactly. Yeah. Um, it, it makes sense to me that, what you're saying about Turkish players. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe because, I, I, you know, Hakan Çalınoğlu was at Milan. Now he's at Inter. Big, you know, Turkish star. So I, I always thought that like, oh, maybe he'll be the one to open the door that we'll get to see more Turkish players. But what you're saying makes, you know, I know, as you said, it's speculation, but it makes sense. And um, obviously you got to get in somebody who's a big fan of the Super League or and lives there or has family there to really talk about this because I'm in no means an expert on this one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna seek him out. All right. We'll do it and then we'll report back. Now time for a coffee break. Curva Mundial is sponsored by Mod Cup Coffee in Jersey City, but you can get it anywhere in the world from modcup.com. Mod Cup, drink modern coffee. Use code MUNDIAL for 10% off your first order. But uh, we're now in the final stage of the podcast. It's the three rapid fire questions I ask everybody. Uh, you can answer for any of the million teams that you love, <laughs> uh, except for the Seattle Mariners. We're not a baseball podcast. Um, but uh, so just let me know the team. And so we're going to start off question one. If you can bring back one retired player to your club, alive or dead, who would it be and why? Oh, come on. I am a Napoli fan. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought they're more than Madonna. <laughs> um, 
In this case, it's only Maradona. <laughs> and the healthy Maradona I'm going to put on the, I mean, he was amazing when he was unhealthy, but I would like the like 1988 version of Maradona. That was the exact year I had in my head. I'm not even kidding. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'll spit it out. I'm like, oh, you mean the 88? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All righty. Not the 1990 version, the little, the little broken down, but you know, still, still moving. Yeah. Um, question two, if your club and now money is not an option. Okay. We have an infinite amount of cash here. Uh, it's, it's more money than PSG and has, <laughs> if your club could sign one player today, who would it be and why? And I have to rapid fire this. <laughs> <laughs> you can take a minute. You can take a breath. That's cool. I honestly, I really am not sure. Um, my problem is I'm so much of a history person that uh, I can't say, um, I, I don't tend to think, I just like to to be in the, not looking at the transfers, not looking at the impossibilities, that sort of thing. Not looking at and, the and I like, <laughs> I like the young players too. So it's either really old and I want them for their, you know, like I, I would say bring back Edison Cavani because we need, Napoli needs that boost of, yeah. Uh, experience and joy and that sort of thing um but then i'm also going to like try to hit the google for the best italian young player to bring in like who do you think that would be i'll take your answer oh for napoli yeah um so it all depends on the position that you have i mean there's talk of napoli getting kayla navas who is probably a top five yeah. of my favorite goalkeepers ever so for me, I would just be like, pay him whatever he wants. <laughs> That's well, the, you know, the that, thing is he might be part of the Fabian deal. So, right. So now if that goes through and that's a reality, again, by the time this podcast ends, the Marquette will be closed. So before everyone starts to tell me I'm a fucking idiot, that's, I just want to, <laughs> this is being recorded before City I even starts. Um, but so if that's a hypothetical, but re realistic, uh, uh capture if you will for the team so I, I mean again like i would say like yeah do that for him but it's looking like it's probably gonna happen um so i don't know i look i think osima is a phenomenal talent and i i'm a big chucky lanzano fan i don't think he gets enough credit i know he's inconsistent but boy is he was so much fun to play yeah. i would put another striker up front with those guys not because that you need the extra firepower but you need it's always good to have depth and it's always good to have tandems up front i mean napoli has always had great uh attack historically so for me i'd put i don't know i mean who would i put up there i the obviously the easiest answer would be mbappe or holland but i don't know yeah. i don't know if they would even gel exactly i think too much about these things i i was just th my, the first reaction actually wasn't Mbappe, but then i was like what do you really fit and you know it's like napoli is such a beautiful team but you have to mesh and that's the thing that's a, that's what's, yeah. what has driven napoli is the core of those guys that live in by that by that jersey and like i see crops of young players now like not understanding what it is to be a one-man club or just live and die by the shirt you know that was the great thing about 
Cavani. And that was the amazing thing about Lavezzi and, you know, obviously Maradona, but, you know, Iguain kind of, he was phenomenal, phenomenal for Napoli, but he kind of ruined. And I know like Juve had to, you, you know, Napoli had to sell him. There was all those things. It was all, you know, but he sort of just showed that like, I'm just going to do me. And that sort of has become the philosophy for so many players that, you know, if you're going to play for Napoli, you're playing for Napoli. Yes. That, that, I think that's why I tend toward like, I would bring a player back like Kalani because he's still got something in him too. And he would get the fans so excited and he would be the stable presence that this new squad looking to assemble needs for, even if it's just a season. Yeah. I, I would look at him as almost what Ibrahimovic did at Milan. Like show these young kids, like this is yeah. Done, exactly. This is what you do. This is how it's done. Um, we might not win every game, but you make sure you give 110% and they're going to love you. Um, it's sort of like that Russell Crowe movie, Gladiator. Are you not entertained? Like, you know, you win the crowd. You win the <laughs> like that's the, like the line. There's like so many like good one-liners in that movie, but like, that's kind of how it is. Just win the crowd. And if you give 110% in that shirt, it doesn't matter what the score is. Of course, it matters at the end of the day, but it's like, yo, we play beautiful football. Like, Saudi ball. Saudi, like, Maurizio Sarri and Saudi ball was at its peak and at its most amazing and eloquent because every one of those players was giving 150% every game. Yeah. Too much in the end, but yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and finally, what has been your favorite moment as a fan? Oh, that's easy. In 2016, speaking of Higuain, I got to go to the final game against Sassuolo when he scored that hat trick. And oh my God! <clears throat> but for me, what was amazing, this was when Italy only had the two Champions League spots and then the third went into qualifying. And it was between us and Roma for second. And um, Sassuolo were being amazingly prickish about things and then i think it was like 25 minutes in or something and this is forgotten by most people now because of the higuain performance but it was hamshik who scored the first goal and he's the one who made sure that napoli got into champions league and i just tears i just burst into tears i jumped up and i cheered and everything and then i fell back in my seat and was just like crying like Oh, I saw my favorite player score, and it means we're going to Champions League. And oh, and I just fell apart. Oh, I love that. I love it. I, what, how great of a feeling is it when the focal point in reference to your team is your favorite player who is now given the gift of putting you in the one of the best tournaments in the world, right? Like, you yes. gotta cry and jump for joy. At the same time. Same time, simultaneously, yes. <laughs> I love it. Kirsten, this has been so much fun and so enlightening and so educational. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been a blast. Oh, awesome. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Follow us on Twitter at Curva Mundial Pod and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.